there. Welcome to Interviews on Between the Pieces, where Tank and DPS go to protospiels, other conventions, and talk to prototype designers and figure out where they are with their works in progress. All right, so here we are again at Protospiel Online. We are talking with Maddie Schrader about her experience here at the online Protospiel and doing games and all that good stuff. So what are you here for, Maddie? Um, well, uh, primarily I was hoping to, to uh, playtest a couple of my prototypes. Uh, primarily, I'm working on a game called White Hat, which is a hacking simulator. Ooh. And so it is a worker placement style action selection simultaneous play game about hacking. So you say worker placement. Are you actually having like like a hacker team in this or is it? Yes. Like Each Ocean's player... Eleven? <laughs> kind of. Each player is a team of hackers at a hacking convention. There's It's a capture the flag event at a hacking convention essentially okay hmm. so we're sticking with legal hacking yes it's, this is, uh, well, white, it's white hat yeah, hackers white hat. Like okay the, uh... yeah 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 brian <laughs> yeah <laughs> but if you want to go ahead and explain to our listeners what a white hacker oh, white, white, ha hat white hat hacker. hacker is yes so a white hat hacker is basically a hacker that is not malicious in their coding what they usually do is they accidentally uh, most of the time stumble upon a exploit on a website or in a piece of software that they use and they responsibly contact the maker of the software or the website that they were using and find ways of helping them fix the issues that they found if i correct recall and correctly there's bounties usually with stuff like that some there is some companies pay for that uh google's famous for paying like ten thousand dollars upwards of sometimes more for one bug that if you find something in like Chrome or mm -hmm. one of their operating systems. So is white hatting a profession that you are familiar with? Um, more or less. I am a software engineer by trade. I work for a healthcare company that makes uh, software for hospitals. Oh, cool. Nifty. So yeah, I always find it interesting when the designers take their personal life and it influences the design very directly mm -hmm. so what kind of current stage are you at with this game it's like um, a brand new or it's about a year and a half old now okay uh, i've been working on it my first playable prototype was just before geekway to the west in 2019 so may last year mm -hmm. um i started pitching it at gen con last year and i've been polishing it ever since very it's... cool very close to done. I'm doing some final tweaking of some of the actions to make sure they're just as powerful as they need to be without being overpowered. So all the power is on like a level playing field. Yep. So have you been able to play test it yet at Prospiel? I have. I did one play test and we had myself and four other players, four other designers got to play it and uh it was a wonderful experience because I don't get to play with other designers very often. So hearing another that kind of critical eye that other designers have on their games mm -hmm. is extremely helpful. Yeah, I, we, we love the heck out of Protospiel specifically for that. The one thing that you got to do keep an eye out for is make sure they're not designing your game for you because some of them will start to do that. <laughs> yes, yes, that is always a risk with other designers. Mm -hmm. But especially when you have a design that's further along in the process, that's... I think that tends to help. To yeah, it yeah. prevents that a little bit more. Whereas if you're doing like raw index cards, the sky's the limit on where you could go at that point. Definitely. So 
what kind of hurdles have you encountered when making this game and how did you overcome them or make changes or whatnot that you saw as you went? The biggest hurdle was because it's a simultaneous play game, trying to find that right amount of player interaction so it doesn't feel like all the players are just heads down moving meeples on their own board and not paying attention to what anyone else is doing. Mm-hmm. You don't want them all playing solitaire. Yeah. And I've kind of solved that, uh, and I've gone back and forth on a couple issues. At one point, there was a phase that players bid on applications that they were building. And that was a really nice bit of interaction, but it unfortunately had a problem where it ground the game to a halt for that bidding phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, I solved that by removing the bidding phase, which took away the player interaction. So today I was playtesting bringing more player interaction back in, mm-hmm. in the form of a, if you take an action no one else is taking, you get a bonus. Oh, okay. Okay, ma- forcing them to pay attention to other people. Yeah. Yeah. And did that work out pretty well? It worked out pretty well. Um, in the larger game, we were, like I said, we were playing with five players. It was not as frequent that somebody would get the bonus, mm-hmm. and it was very hard to anticipate whether somebody was going to take the action you were taking or not. Hmm. Yeah, with more so, players, and then all the actions would probably be filled at a certain point. Yes. Alrighty. Um, so where are you located in the world of... Perderspiels and all that good stuff. I'm in central Illinois. Okay. Just north of St. Louis, which is uh, my hometown board game convention is Geekwit of the West, which I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. We have yet to make it to that one, but it is one that we'd like to eventually. Yeah. It's a, little it's south a great of us. convention. And I'm not just saying that because I help, I help run it. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So you actually help run Geekwit of the West? I do. Um, I've been on the board of directors for. Two years now, I think. Very cool. So at least a few conventions under your belt. Well, there was Geekway Mini, and Geekway was supposed, and last year's Geekway, and then this year's Geekway Mini, mm-hmm. and then this year's Geekway got canceled because of everything going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've had quite a few conventions of ours cancel. I have one that's trying to hold out hope, and I'm looking at it going, there's no way. Yeah, there's it's no hard. way you're you're gonna try and run in September. There's no way. And a lot of times it's up to the hotel or the conference center mm-hmm. or the wherever location, so they have to pretend that they want the convention to happen so they don't breach their contract. Yeah. Until and they get really... the legal ability to get out of contract without any kind of financial repercussions. Yep. Always the best thing. So with your white hat game was there something you wish you had known before starting to make the game that you now know prototypes are expensive (laughs) yeah they are (laughs) and uh don't spend money on a prototype until you're sure you're not going to be making enough changes Mm -hmm. like getting away with sharpies and blank card index cards and paper Do that as long as possible because it's way cheaper because as soon as you splurge for a nice prototype to start showing people, you're always going to be finding things to to change and mess with, and then you want to have to re-spend that money again. A piece of printer paper with a magic card back in it and a card sleeve is always just fine. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Or once protospiels actually kick back up and start being in physical form, there's usually free pieces at some of them that you can grab. 
Usually game yep, crafter that's supplies. The, that's the one downside to the online protosphere is we don't have the the bits table toys to run around and <laughs> experiment with. So um, to backtrack a little bit, with you had a play test with your game earlier. Um, yeah. Did you have you have you play tested this outside of the online scene yet? I have, um, largely with my local friends group. Uh, we get together um, and play board games, all sorts of them, a couple times a week. And they're my number one play testers. And then uh, I go to St. Louis every once in a while for their board game design meetups. And I have other designers test it there. And then I just go to local game stores and I set up my game on a table and hope people want to play it. That's very generous of them. That's awesome. So what are some of the big differences you've seen between a in-person playtest and online? Online takes way longer. And it's kind of frustrating, especially for a medium-heavy Euro that I'm working on, because all the fiddliness of Tabletop Simulator is expanded compared to what you're used to in real life where you could just pick up cubes really easily and move them around the board and there's a lot of cube shuffling in my game so you're picking up cubes and trading them in for other cubes and you have you have two hands in real really life you have one hand in the, in the simulator mm-hmm. yep so what is like the big hook of the white hat game like what is like what are you going to shove into your 15 second, you know, elevator pitch that really gets them? So my favorite mechanic is this idea that when you're developing code, you sit down and you work on a task mm-hmm. and you start out kind of slow, but you work up to this rhythm where you kind of get into the zone and you get really good at the task you're working on. But then you get a phone call from your boss that interrupts you and you have to go change your train of thought <laughs> to work on another task. And you lose track of where you're at, and you have to catch back up again. I have a mechanic that does that in my board game, where when you put a hacker on a space, you can either pick it up and put it on another track the next turn, or leave it there, and it gets better from each turn. Very cool. I I, like that idea. I know that before in the coffee talk, people were talking about theme and mechanic, and that definitely sounds like a mechanic that'd be pretty difficult to separate from the theme. And definitely, I, I personally love it when the theme and mechanic become almost inseparable because it just deepens the experience in the game. So kudos for that fun little yeah, Marion sure. you have right there. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun to play just because, it's so abstracted from what I do as a day job mm-hmm. that it doesn't feel like I'm actually coding. It doesn't feel like I'm being a hacker, but I'm still doing all the actions and the, the, the motions of doing it. So it has that kind of, if you don't know anything about hacking, you can play my game and kind of get an idea of what the day-to-day life of a software engineer and a hacker is going to be like. Mm-hmm. And if you know what you're doing, you can be like, okay, this is kind of, stretching the bounds of what reality is but i get the mechanics of what you're doing and it makes sense for the normal people fine line to walk yeah you got some good thematic looping then yeah is this your first game or do you have other games in the works this is my second design okay my first design i self-published on the game crafter 
Okay. And it's a trick-taking game about walking dogs. Oh, okay. What's that one called? Uh, Walking Doggos. Walking Doggos. So if anyone's looking and... for a trick-taking game about walking dogs, go find it on the Game Crafter. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there anything else you'd like to plug or talk about or any of that good stuff going on here? No, I don't think so. We've covered just about everything. So All right. thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for talking to us and have a wonderful partner spiel. You too. Thank you. Yep, see ya. Thank you for listening to interviews on Between the Pieces with Tank and DPS. See you next time. <laughs>